Welcome to another podcast by Victoria Point Baptist Church. We are glad you have joined us today. If you would like to connect with us as we aim to introduce people to Jesus by connecting with our local community and beyond, you can find out more at vpbc.com.au. Um, daylight saving kicked in and um, for the rest of the state and my phone and... Uh, I was just about to leave the house, and my daughter's like, well, where are you going? I'm like, church. And she says, oh, okay. Anyway, so I'm, I'm, I'm up a lot earlier than I'm normal, so um, that's, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Um, I, I just want to introduce you to the world's greatest invention. Um, this bad boy is duct tape, our world's greatest invention, and I love it. I love um, Engineering 101 is uh, if something is, is stuck and it's meant to move, this WD-40, if it's, if it's moving and it's not meant to, you've got duct tape. And uh, duct tape is this beautiful thing of fixing things. And uh, maybe, maybe you use duct tape, maybe you love duct tape as much as me. Uh, but there's that show that kind of talks a lot about duct tape. And um, this guy, I don't know, he's probably someone that you guys probably don't really know. But his, his name's Red, and he's got this show called Red Green. And uh, this is the guy. And uh, it's a funny show, and he fixes everything with duct tape. He builds cars with duct tapes. He, you know, you, you name it, and uh, duct tape's there. And, uh, but he's got this awesome saying, and I really like it. And he said, his saying goes, if the woman don't find you handsome, they should at least find you handy. <laughs> and that's become a bit of a joke in our household, and it's been a bit of a motto in my life. And um, so I'm becoming handier as I age. <laughs> And uh, my wife is very gracious. But uh, it, is, it is something that we, we often, we like to be practical. I like to sort of fix things. And um, in, in fact, people found Jesus really handy. Uh, for th- 33 years, people, well, while Jesus was on earth, they found him really, really handy to be around. I mean, you think of the world's best wingman would be Jesus. You know, he, he heals people, he fixes them, he, he's, uh, he's a nice guy, he, he, he's life of a party, he, can, he turns water into wine, a bit, bit unbaptisty, but it's, um, he went there, and uh, so look, he, he, he's a, a, a fun-loving, enjoyable guy. He, he confronted uh, the religious... Um, self-righteous people, and I think we would have been like, yes, stick it to them. Um, I know I would have, and um, so he would have been a really good, handy person to have in your, in your posse, in your group, and um, you know, he fixes things, he fixes, he heals people, he heals broken hearts, and, and there's a whole heap of things, and so the society back 2,000 years ago found Jesus really handy for about 33 years, uh, but then it came to a point where their big problem that they wanted fixed with duct tape or with spiritual duct tape or something, was Rome. Rome had conquered them. And they were conquered people and they were wanting someone to fix their ultimate problem, which was Rome, and and rescue and restore them. And uh, Jesus didn't. And uh, he's like, no, my kingdom's not of this world. And they're like, well, you're no longer useful, Jesus. You know, and this is people's reactions and their response was, you know, they were disappointed that Jesus wasn't going to fix their problems. And I wonder if today that is, that's for us might be your situation, my situation, where we've got this expectation that Jesus is a, a d- divine duct tape, that he's going to fix your things. And maybe you've come to the point of frustration of realizing that your things are still broken. You know, like Jesus' expectations, your expectations of Jesus aren't being met or fulfilled. And so what do we do with that place? Well, we've got this problem 
uh, we've got this problem. And the problem is we don't really appreciate what it is to have Jesus around, what it is to have the presence of God around. And what I mean is, is what, what are your expectations of Jesus in your life? I mean, it's an interesting question when you start to go down that road. Is, you know, because we have expectations, whether we actually thought about them or not, but we all have expectations, don't we? We have expectations of our spouses. Of, I have expectations of my daughter, of my kids. I have expectations of people around me. But we have expectations of God. And what are our expectations of the presence of God in our lives? And I think part of the problem is that we don't really understand the purpose of the presence of God in our lives. Like, it's a big concept. I mean, God, God is, there's lots of verses in the Bible that talk about the presence of God. It sort of is a bit confusing. And so we're going to unpack that today because it's, when we start to get our head around this, it makes, hopefully it'll make a whole lot of sense and really help us understand that God isn't divine duct tape in our lives. All right, so there we go. Often we fail to understand the purpose of the presence of God. There's four types of presences. Present, presence? Presences. That sounds wrong, doesn't it? There's four types of presence of God in, in, that we see throughout the, um, throughout the Scripture. And um, some of these you might know, some of them might be new, and some of them will be probably defined differently to what you have heard before. But it's quite interesting. So I hope you get a lot out of this. So if, you, if you've got your, your Bibles, um, good habit to bring your Bibles. Um, Psalm 139, the whole chapter of Psalm 139 King David is writing about the presence of God. And he writes about the presence of God in the sense of omnipresent, which means God's presence in the whole world. So I'm going to read Psalm, just bits of Psalm 39. The whole chapter is beautiful. And it says, you, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. And this is a beautiful psalm. It goes on defining and explaining how God isn't confined or defined or restricted by anything. He's not restricted by geography. He's not restricted by time. He exists outside of our parameters, outside of the physics, the laws of physics that he created. Uh, he exists outside of those. And so he's not limited and that's a really beautiful thing. It's scary, knowing that God is everywhere. But there's a, often a little bit of confusion that people have. I'm not saying that God is in a rock. And you're like, what do you mean, Sam? Well, that's kind of animism. It's kind of like this, this idea that um, there's a spiritual deity in the trees. We're not talking about Mother Earth. We're not saying that, that God is in creation, but he is everywhere. He's, he's not limited by geography. So it's an important distinction because we're not saying that the world has this spiritual reality in and of itself. But God is everywhere. Uh, and that is a beautiful thing because he's always available. You, you can't run away from God. If Elon Musk and his space rockets can't escape the presence of God because God cannot be escaped from. And this is a beautiful thing. We can reach out whenever we're at Whatever we're going through, he is accessible. So it's a beautiful thing about the presence of God. But we don't always like this idea that he's everywhere and he knows everything, do we? Our society certainly doesn't particularly like the fact that God sees everything because that means accountability. If God knows all that you're doing, well, there's an accountability trail there. And so that's a, that's a hard one to swallow. 
All right, the second type of God's presence is God with us. So in Isaiah, uh, the prophet Isaiah, about five or 600 years before Jesus, he prophesied in Isaiah 7, 14, he said, uh, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. So the God's presence is with us. And, and God chose to, to dwell in a tent. He loves camping. Um, no, uh, we went camping two weeks ago, got rained out, it was fantastic. Um, but God chose to dwell in a tent, in a tabernacle with Moses. He's like, I'm going I'm to dwell in a place that you can meet. So it's more than just God is kind of this ethereal kind of out there-ness. God is actually choosing to be revealed um, it's like upon his people, with his people, God with us. And it was a temporary tent, as tenting is temporary. Um, and then it moved into like a semi-temporary temple, which is like a, a bit more of a fixture. And it's like, this is where God met with humanity. So that's a fantastic place of meeting, of engaging with God. Um, and, and God encourages his people to be salt and light. And so and God's presence is is upon and with his people. And it's a beautiful reality uh, for us today to know that God is for you. He's not against you. He, he loves you. He, he, he wants to be a part of what you're doing. He's personal. He's not distant. You know, God didn't send text messages to us and saying, you know, love you. He, he gave himself and loved us in that profound way. So he's personal. And so that his, his presence is intimate. And that's a beautiful thing. Which brings us to number three. Uh, number three, God within us. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the, whole, and the Spirit of God dwells in you? God's presence is within you. He births a sense of unity within you. His presence empowers you. It's the Spirit alive in you, uh, produces fruit in you, the fruit of the Spirit that He generates in and through you. His presence empowers you to, to, to act and behave courageously and to hold on to Him. It was His faith that allows us to hold on to Him. And so, so this is really useful. So far we've seen the, the, these first three presents of God is kind of like useful duct tape God. This is good for us. Uh, God around, God for us, God generally there, accessible, and uh, God within us is, is really, really good news for us. And uh, so far it's quite useful. I, I had this uh, friend, oh, it's actually a relative, I hope they're not watching, <laughs> that, that said that they tried Jesus and didn't work. And um, it's like the whole concept is very bizarre. It's like walking into Baskin Robbins and asking for a sample of ice cream. And um, sometimes like, we, can, we can try things and give it a whirl and see if it works out. Uh, but this last presence of God is kind of like a completely opposite picture of trialing God. See, the last presence of God is, is that we are in Christ. It's the other way around. The first three are, you know, God's sort of coming to us and God around us. The last presence of God is that we are in Him. It's a completely different picture. We don't try God. We enter into His presence, what He is doing. It's His kingdom reality we enter into. But so often we try to make Him fit into our reality. So we are in Christ. Uh, John 14, the whole book of John, talks a whole lot about us being in Christ. It's a beautiful book. 
Uh, John 14, 19. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Uh, John 15, 5. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So this is this idea of stepping intentionally into the presence of God. And it's like, well, what is, what's, this is a big question that comes out. What's different between me entering into the presence of God and the presence of God being within me? And, but there's a difference, and we're going to unpack that, hold that good question on, and we'll answer that hopefully in a sec. But uh, in Scripture, you, you know, does anyone have a guess at how many times the word Christian is mentioned in the, in the Bible? Yeah, yeah. It's three, three times. Uh, three times the word Christian is mentioned in the Bible. You're like, well, okay, cool. Fun fact for today. Um, uh, but the overarching emphasis in Scripture is Christ. There's a, we are in Christ, not Christ in me. So it's a very interesting picture. Um, if you want to know how many times in the New Testament the, the idea, the concept of being in Christ is mentioned, here's a number for you, 216. So the overarching emphasis of the Bible is that we actually enter into what Jesus is doing, his presence, his plan, his kingdom. But I wonder if that reflects your and I prayer life. You know, like, does that reflect how we view God? I would, I would hazard a guess that we probably got that around the other way, that we spend a lot of our time trying to get God to fit into our suitcase, to be convenient to go where we are, that he would be our ultimate wingman, that he would fix our problems, that he would be this divine duct tape to fix our, solu- our problems and bring about a divine solution. But the scripture is painting a very vastly different picture, that the purpose of the presence of God is that we are in him, in his doing, in his being, being in him. And uh, that's a significant concept for us to take hold of. If there's one thing that we can take away of today, can it be this one? That we would reorient our perspective and realize that we were never created or designed to try and usurp God's presence and to take it and to control it. But we are meant to submit to his presence. Right, it's a big picture. It's, it's, a, it's a big issue, but it's good for us to wrestle with. The thing about stepping into God's presence is it's not automatic. When, when you accept Jesus as your Lord and King, you get his spirit on you. It's, it's, you've got the presence of God has this, um, is, is in part is with you, well, in full is with you. But there's a, it's not an automatic thing that you enter into the presence of God. It's an active act of the will. And this, this sermon comes out of last week's sermon. I'm not plugging last week's sermon, but if, it does, if you want to go back and listen to it, it makes a whole lot more sense as to why we submit to God and what submitting is. See, it's not automatic. It's an act of the will. We choose to enter into the presence of God as believers. And the danger is is that many Christians are operating as simply just existing in this concept of God around, he's he's there, I can never leave him, that's awesome. But they're missing out on the joy and the freedom and the life that is in Christ. And there's a significant difference. Now, if you've still got that question in your mind, what's the difference between Christ in me and me in Christ? Uh, The emphasis is on kingship. The emphasis is on who is actually Lord and King of your life. Because if you're 
suggesting in, in through your, your prayers and everything that we, we do that, um, that Jesus is Lord and King, then it changes how we pray. It changes how we engage. It changes what we pray for. It changes our whole worldview when we see him as our Lord and King and actually live that out. Kingship. We, we want to be a part of what he, he is doing. It's an act of the will. It's an attitude. It's seeking another's will. We enter into his throne room. Scripture talks a lot about the throne room of God. And it's something we enter into. Um, and, but, but my question that I have is how much do we desire control in our own lives? Because if we're trying to control and micromanage every aspect of our lives, then we're not really living out Jesus as king in our lives. Is his lordship reigning in all areas of my life? It's a really big question. Uh, it, it can manifest itself in lots of different ways when we try to get God to fit into our suitcase. It can be in worship, in singing and praising God. It can be, I, I enjoyed that song because I got something out of it. Well, yeah, that's kind of God's presence with you. But the point is, is that you enter into what he's already doing. You enter into his presence. And so it's not about you at all. Worship is worshipping God because he is worthy and due our heart's attention and adoration. While we see Jesus as divine duct tape, we're all going to be looking and chopping around churches to find the perfect fit of worship style that I like. Well, yeah. But when we start to see Jesus as more than just duct tape, more than just useful, we start to see him as beautiful. It changes the way we act, the way we respond, and the way we see community. It's significant. There's this beautiful picture that comes in, in, the, in the Gospels. Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son. And the well-known story, you probably know it quite well. The prodigal son is a son who, uh, the youngest son who wastes all his stuff and um, leaves home and... Um, comes back after he sort of loses everything and his father welcomes him back in. And um, th that's the part we sort of often dwell on, but I think the, the whole point of that prodigal son story is more about the older son. See, the older son was there and he didn't leave, he didn't waste, he didn't squander anything. He, he, he resented the fact that the younger son came back and was accepted so freely. But Dad put on a massive spit roast and had a party and the older son refused to go in. The older son refused to go into the presence of God. And, and so I, my question for us as church is, sometimes we refuse to enter into the presence of God. And so my question is, what is it that stops us from entering into the presence of God? Let's get really practical, because you know, so far we've been quite up here in, uh, in, in painting a picture of theology. But practically, what does it actually look like to enter into the presence of God? Because there's a lot of things we can do to stay outside and to not enter into his throne room. And uh, the awesome book, James, the book of James is awesome. It unpacks this reality in our lives. And so uh, if, you, if you do have your Bibles and you want to pull them out, I'm going to read from James chapter 4, and we, we have read it, and uh, hopefully you've got it bookmarked, uh, verse 4. And uh, this is talking about humble submission. It says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And, that, and that's, quite a, that's quite a big 
picture of what does it look like to be an enemy of God, and that's quite a profound statement. Uh, but what it's actually talking about is, is saying, you know, wh- what are you fixated on? Are you consumed by worldly pleasures, worldly pursuits? See, if we're pursued by the things of this world, we're not going to set our hearts and minds on entering into the presence of God. And so it's very easy to be distracted. It's very easy to be consumed by the things of this world. There's a, there's a saying I like that desires grow where your mind lingers. And if you want a desire after God, where's your mind lingering? And sometimes our minds linger in different places. And if you, if you want to desire something bad, let, let your mind linger there. But the Bible tells, tells us to take captive every thought and bring it into submission to Christ. That's what we do as we enter into his presence. It's this, it's this intentional stepping into and acknowledging him as our Lord and King and affixing our heart's attention, not on the physical reality, but acknowledging that God has a bigger and greater plan and kingdom that he wants us to be a part of. Awesome. God wants to be intimate friends with us. Uh, verse 5, do, or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us. That idea of jealousy longs, the, the original word jealousy comes out of, you, jealousy means something that you own that you want back, as opposed to envious. Envious is something that you want that isn't yours. That's the original meaning. It's sort of gone a little bit different now. But, and jealousy, God is a jealous God because he, he created us, he formed us, he breathed life into us, and he wants us to return to him. Uh, and envious is, is, is not that. And so God wants us to come back to him. He wants us to desire him. And so desire plays a big part of entering into the throne room of God, entering into his presence. It's your heart attitude of desiring and longing for what he has for us. But verse uh, verse 6, But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. A pride sets itself against God. It resists a dependence on him. It hides our sins and suffocates our relationship with God. And then James goes, in this book, James, he, he goes into five practical things that, uh, that make a big difference in entering into his, uh, his throne room and his presence. And so this might be more, but these are five really good ones to be mindful of. All right, so if you've got verse 7, it says... Wasn't ready for that one. Submit yourselves then to God. Uh, yield to his authority and will. Commit your life to him and his control and, he'll, and, and be willing to follow him. Uh, he is your king. When we, are, when we put him up as our king in our lives, it's submitting ourselves to his rule. And, and we're not really truly submitting to him while we're holding things back. And so we, we all have a list of you know, how far we're willing to go to follow Jesus, like if we're honest with ourselves, we're like, you know, that's off the cards, you know, I'm willing to do or go or give that, but there's a line that we all have if we're really honest. But when we understand that God wants us to submit all our lives to him, it's, it's basically taking that list and putting it in the bin and saying, God, just use me. Jesus told, he called his disciples, he's basically saying, leave everything and follow me. And that's, and that's, a, that's a hard place to be. But that is the, the foundation point for us entering into the presence of God and experiencing his fullness is realising that what, what are we holding back from God in disobedience? 
You know, God wants us to live full lives. He wants us to enjoy life. He wants us to, to have an abundant life. But he doesn't want to hold things back out of disobedience. And the second thing, it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The devil's power is limited to lies in the believer. Uh, the, the devil hasn't got power over you in Christ Jesus because of the work of Jesus dying on the cross. But he has influence in your life and he, he, he longs to distract us from the presence of God. He longs to bring interesting things up on YouTube and Netflix that will get you distracted from spending time with him. It's, um, so often I'll be on my phone and I'll be like five minutes later, ten minutes, half an hour later, how did I end up looking at cat videos? I have no idea. But the enemy is very active at bringing things that distract us from a worldview perspective of him. Uh, he, he often encourages bitterness, unforgiveness. He challenges our heart attitude. How about this one? How about not feeling worthy to enter into the presence of God? Maybe we feel like we haven't been to church enough, we haven't read enough, we haven't done all these things, we haven't been tired, we haven't been doing spiritual disciplines enough to feel worthy to enter the kingdom of God. That's a lie. See, God, Jesus has, has birthed and he, he gave, he granted access to us to have access to the presence of God because of him. So it's being mindful of the enemy and uh, his attempts to disrupt our connection with our Heavenly Father. Uh, verse 8, come near to God and he'll come near to you. That's this one. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. And wash your hands. And so we, we want to point out here that this is not talking about salvation. See, Jesus purified you from all unrighteousness. The, the work of the cross was final, it was complete, it was finished. What we're talking about here is entering into the presence of God. And so James is encouraging the believers at the time. He's like, hey, you, when God highlights sin in your life, deal with it. And I love this picture. Um, I, my dog, a number of years ago, I was hoping to get a picture of it. I didn't at the time. Had this giant stick and he was bounding up and there was a gate and the stick was bigger than the gate. And here we are encouraging the dog to run faster. And um, this dog flies into the gate and doesn't make it through. And uh, the dog just kept on trying to go through and just couldn't get through. See, the reason the dog couldn't get through is it was holding on to things that were stopping it from entering in. And as Christians, often we hold on to things that stop us entering into the presence of God. We, we hold on to attitudes, we hold on to bitterness, we hold on to enmity. We, we, hold, we, we have a disunity. We hold on to things that stop us from entering into the, in, and enjoying the presence of God. Because the presence of God is a place you want to be. The presence of God is, is where you are free. It's where your heart longs to be. It's what truly satisfies your life, is being in the presence of God. There's nothing quite like being in the presence of God. And at times we might get, have, have moments of being in the presence of God, but it's more than just an emotion of the presence of God. It's realizing it's an attitude of the heart of engaging with God at that level. That's the presence of God. But there's things in our lives that, that are stopping us from entering into the presence of God. And so I, my challenge would be that I think everyone has something that stops them from entering into the presence of God. Are, are we so distracted or are we treating God like our divine duct tape? You know, what, what is it that's stopping you from entering into the presence of God? Because that would be worth dealing with and letting go. Drop the jolly stick. 
Not worth holding on to a stick that's stopping you from entering into God's presence. Not worth it. So let things go. And maybe it's a hard attitude. Maybe it's your neighbour, next door, a friend, someone in the church that just rubs you the wrong way. Maybe it's me. I'm sorry if it's me. Feel free to drop me. Uh, But if it's whatever it is, drop it. Not worth stopping you entering into his presence. Uh, Verse 9, grieve... This is an interesting one. Grieve, mourn, and wail. It's not something we often hear about in sermons. So uh, when's the last time you grieved, mourned, and wailed? Well, not a while. Uh, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Oh, that's depressing. Can we skip that? No, let's not skip it because it's important for us to realize that sin has consequence. And what this is talking about, this is talking about, this is not saying, how hey, you need to be grumpy old people. You don't need to be, you know, sad and miserable. Like Jesus came to give us abundant life. But he's saying, the things that stop you from entering into the kingdom of God, would you recognize that they have significance in your life and they they have a negative effect? There is gravity and weight in sin. You know, Jesus dealt with sin from a salvation level, so we are saved and freed from it. But sin still entangles us. The author in Hebrews says, uh, talks about the entanglement of sin that encourages us to, to flee from. So sin has a gravity. And be sorryful, be mournful. Uh, don't be afraid to express deep heart so, heartfelt sorrow for your sin. And this is attitude of humility, of God, I can't do this on my own. Uh, this is recognizing the significance of disobedience and ultimately acknowledging our lack of ability to live good lives ourselves. We can't do this. We can't live the Christian life without us. And we could pretend that we're good people. Pretending doesn't actually help. We realize that that Jesus is our righteousness and that our, our sins are something that he wants us to let go and, and to deal with and that he will deal with them in our lives as we humble ourselves. Which ver- brings us to verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. This is recognizing that your worth comes from God alone. This is not thinking poorly of yourself but le- speaking less of yourself and having a true revelation of your worth. You know, humility is recognizing your true worth. And your true worth is an incredibly powerful tool in your life. Knowing that you are valued, that you are loved, that you are precious is an incredible tool in your life. I remember recently reading about, a, I think it was a psychologist talking about how do we make our kids resilient to the dangers of online technology. And they came back to this point that the way you protect your kids the most from the dangers of predators and the dangers of scary people out there is not so much about limiting and, and, and limiting access, but building a sense of self-esteem in our kids. See, when, when, we, when a, a child has a self-esteem, they know that they are loved and they are precious, then they're, not, they're less vulnerable. See, the, the predators of the world, the, the bad people of the world, seek out the insecurities of people. Bullies prey on insecurities. Uh, the, the, there's a huge whole psychology on, on this, but you know, our insecurities are the devil's playground. But when you know who you are in Christ Jesus and you take hold of that, you have a resilience in life. It's a beautiful thing. And that's what true humility is. True humility is not trying to puff ourselves up. It's taking hold of the value that God has for you. That is true humility. He loves you. And you are worthy. Your value comes from God. 
If you ever seen some paintings in art galleries, you're like, that is rubbish. And then you look at the price, you know, $10 million for this piece of painting. It's a bit of paint on a, on a wall. You see, it's not about the, the artwork. It's about the, the author. It's a painter who gives its value. If it's a, some famous Picasso that does some art, it becomes incredibly valuable. And you are valuable because God is your creator and he loves you. He gave you your value. When you take hold of that, it gives us self-esteem. It gives us confidence to go through life. It's such a beautiful thing, beautiful picture to know that we are created. Entering into the presence of God is a posture of our heart that submits to him as king and sees him as beautiful, not just useful. It's acknowledging his lordship in our plans and thinking about the future and thinking about the, the, all our desires and dreams. It's, it's including him. It's actually taking a step back and saying, you know, Lord, here's my suggestions, but I want to take hold of what you want in my life. And that's an attitude of entering into his presence, his kingdom reality. It's all about him. It's obedience in dealing with sin and realizing the gravity of it. It's recognizing Jesus restored our identity and made a way. And this isn't automatic. This is an intentional step, it's an intentional decision God's people choose to enter into the presence of God. It's not choosing to have this emotional high. And so sometimes we think of God and the presence of God as like this emotionalism. There's a danger in chasing out emotionalisms because emotions come and go. But God is steadfast. He is eternal. He is never changing. But his presence is something that he invites us into on a daily basis. And we take hold of his security. It's a permanent kingdom that cannot be shaken, eternally secure. And we start operating with his authority. And we start functioning within his mission. Our, our work, I love these words, in closing, uh, our world is marked by instability and chaos. Uh, God, God's presence and nearness grounds us into his reality. His power gives us courage, strength, and resilience and conviction and an identity to face anything this world can throw at us. And when we stop trying to make God handy, we start to see him as beautiful. So if you're going through life trying to be handy or handsome or whatever it is you want in trying to be, will we take a moment and recognize that God doesn't want to be just our divine duct tape? He doesn't want to just be useful in your life. He is useful. He does fix your things because he loves you. But ultimately, he wants you to enjoy him and to see him as handsome, as beautiful, as someone to adore. That is the presence of God. That is what he invites us into. And that's an intentional decision. There's a, um, a beautiful picture. God, God created the fish. In Genesis, we, we see the creation story. And God created the fish. And what did he, how did he do that? He, he spoke to the water. And so he bring forth the fish. And uh, how did, then God created plants, and then he's like, well, how did he bring forth the plants? He spoke to the ground, and it's a beautiful picture. And when God created humans, he spoke to himself. See, when God spoke to himself, he realized that he is the source of our life. See, you can't take the fish out of the ocean, they die. You can't take the trees out of the ground, they die. If you try to take us outside the presence of God, we shrivel up and die. So we were designed to live and breathe and operate inside the presence of God, but that's something we intentionally step into. 
abiding in him, this idea of resting in him, knowing him, that is where we're designed to operate and grow. We are created to live in him because it is only in him that life truly exists in its fullness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you that your life is so profound. Lord, your life is real. It's not just a ethereal concept. Lord, your life is something we can experience and take hold of. But Lord, I pray that today, if, if there's been things that you've been challenging in our hearts, things that we've been holding on to that are stopping us enter into your kingdom and your presence, Lord, would you help us deal with them? Would you help us to drop the jolly stick that's stopping us from entering into the presence of God? Maybe it's our busy schedule that is our stick. And maybe it's, it's a relationship or it's a hurt. Maybe it's a pain, a deep-seated pain that's been there for years that is just preventing us from entering into your presence. Lord, I pray that you would help us by your Spirit's enabling to let go and enter into your joy, your fullness, your purpose, your plan. Lord, would you help us to, to walk humbly before you. Uh, Lord, would you give us a desire for your kingdom to come and be birthed in our reality? Lord, would we desire to see more of you? Would, would you put a desire in our hearts to see our friends and our family fall in love with you? Lord, would you churn and burn a desire in us to see your kingdom come today, this, word, this week, Lord? And would you enable us to live that reality out in our lives? Lord, we just pray and thank you for this time together, Lord. Would you uh, do a work in our hearts? Would we leave here obedient, Lord? And would we have something that you want us to actually activate this, this week? Lord, would you deal with our pride? Lord, pride's such a, such a big danger. Uh, Lord, would you address sin that so easily entangles us? Lord, so that we can enjoy your presence. Lord, we thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.